Oh, alrighty. Um, sorry, I need to have another sip of this. Yeah. yeah. It's like down it. <laughs> you can- Welcome to Maker and Creator, the podcast about creativity and culture and how it affects us. My name is Jai Smith and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Alex Adams. Hi, Jai. God, that felt better than you doing it last week. You didn't like it when I read that? <laughs> I liked it. It's just that I felt weird. It's a selfish thing. Because I was imitating you. No, I didn't mind the imitation. Well, the roles had been reversed. The roles You like been, being in control. Yeah, you I'd like lost having my, my manpower. Well, you know I always have the last word on this podcast. Do you? I close this out. Really? Yeah. Do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I might be editing sooner than you, you notice. <laughs> Anyway, so I have a big secret to tell you, Alex. What's the secret? Sometimes I know the person we're interviewing and other times I don't really and I don't have any idea about Lindsay Bennett. I just saw an article she wrote and I like it so much that I'm like, I need to get you on the podcast. This is literally the first time I've looked at Lindsay. And I'm like, this will be different. Because I I read an article she wrote uh, for Ad News. Was it Lindsay? No, it was on my own LinkedIn. Your own LinkedIn. That's where I write things now. Yeah. (laughs) And I read it and then we got in a conversation where I'm like, I have to talk about this because I wanted to talk about journalism, I wanted to talk about advertising, but really then I thought about it, I'm like, well, Alex is a journalist, but we've never Mm -hmm. talked about journalism. And, like, it's a huge creative area that kind of is getting a lot of flack for one reason or another and I think is kind of misunderstood these days. So I Mm -hmm. wanted to talk to Lindsay about who on earth she was and why she here. Welcome, Lindsay. Welcome to the show. Thank you. What an intro. (laughs) (laughs) Normally I have facts. I have a long personal tale. Yeah. We'll we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to the facts. (laughs) (laughs) Just all lies, this podcast. So tell us about you, Lindsay. Tell us about what you're doing, what you've done. And I think we're going to talk about age a lot. And if you're okay with telling us how old you are, I think that's going to be a big point of this. Yeah, of course. I'm 25. Uh, I have just started at DDB and I'm no longer a journalist, which is kind of funny to talk on a podcast about journalism um but I (laughs) I'm a trained journalist that's what I studied uh that's what I always wanted to be and that's what I became I think it gosh how 21 I guess I finished uni and I started at ad news which is the the trade press the advertising press and I started as a cadet what is a cadet you said that a cadet is like it's like a a fancy intern (laughs) intern. (laughs) is it an intern with rank yeah, basically. It's like doing an apprenticeship but for journalism. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. actually, funny story. I had an intern once who then hired other interns, so he promoted himself <laughs> to senior intern. And I'm like, welcome to the big leagues. And he used to make all those other interns do things for him. Wow. And I'm like, you totally have this. Oh, he's, I bet you he's like. It's Eddie. Oh, <laughs> he's amazing. I hope you, like, shot him up through the ranks really quickly. Yeah, I hope he's an, oh, uh, an MD now. It's uh-huh. amazing. Yeah, he's, just, he's just blitzed it and just got this weird intern agency. He's oh, actually yeah. killing it. Yeah. yeah, he is killing it. I yeah. think I I think I think hired six interns when I was, like, two years in. So I was like, fuck, I do a lot of work. Oh, can we swear on this? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> Is that and I'm like, do we not seem like swearers? Or do you do, we? but I was just yeah. checking. Yeah. <laughs> I do. Like, Where this is like a swearer. Yeah. <laughs> this is the during a PG hour. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't even know that you could do cadetships anymore. I mean, I'm 10 years older than you. When I did my journalism degree, that was one route was you could either go to uni and you could study or you could go and do a cadetship with one of the papers. 
if you could get one of those, but they were few and far between. But So I didn't even know you could do a cadetship. Can you tell us what a modern-day cadetship looks I'm pretty like? sure they barely exist anymore. I know Fairfax and News Corp do have them still. I Is think, that to replace all the journalists they're firing? Yeah, or? basically. I think, honestly, <laughs> and I think cadets are a bit used like that. It, it's a way to pay them that absolute minimum. Um, but in saying that, my cadetship was really well-structured at news. I think it's just when you're super, super junior, mm. it's kind of level one, you get more training yep. um, and it's unionised, I believe. Really? Oh. Well, the cadets unionised? Y- no, not really. But um. <laughs> so, you, so you did do a degree first? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. it wasn't in lieu of a degree? No, was, no, no. It was right. It was basically, yeah. I guess, the intro into the industry. Um, yeah. And there were a few advertised. So it is a thing. I don't know if it's still hmm. a thing. Um, but I was quite... Uh, ambitious to shake that title quite quickly because it sounded quite junior to me. So I think within three months I'd moved into junior journalist and then I was like, I don't need that junior in there. I think putting junior in someone's title is probably one of the most condescending things you can do to people. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it should just be journalist, I guess. And I think maybe that's an area of journalism, the grading and um, journalism's Journalists are graded, which you, you really? may know. Yeah, so you're like one, two, three, four, five, six to eight. Really? Um, which is very strange for someone and I was always told that I pushed the boundaries on that. <laughs> but each grade then has a salary attached to it, so it's very hard to move through the ranks. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's where the cadet shit comes into it. At least that's the way Ad News ran it and they ran it through the MEAA, so – very kind of standard industry practice. Yeah, right. It's quite boring, really. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you go to? What uni did you go to and what did M- you do? Macquarie University. Hey, club back in the house. Yeah. <laughs> and I did um, a Bachelor of Arts Media. Oh, yeah. yeah, so I guess during that time I was trying to figure out what vertical of journalism you go to into because at the time I was doing it, um, a lot of – I got into UTS at first and I looked at the course and it was very newspaper-based mm. and I knew I didn't want to be a newspaper journalist. I'm kind of embarrassed to admit but my inspiration when I was young came from um, Sarah Jessica Parker. <laughs> Sex, <laughs> Sex and the City. <laughs> you know, that kind of writer lifestyle Feature, which right. <laughs> is not obtained, you know, her, she wrote a column and had this amazing lifestyle. Like that's not <laughs> reflective of a journalist. But um, and Mia Friedman as well. I wrote, read her book when I was quite young. Ended up interning at Mamma Mia, the different story. And, and I had a cousin who was <laughs> I'd a love ju- to hear that story. <laughs> I had a cousin who was a journalist. So I feel like I had some inspiration. That I wanted to be more lifestyle. I actually wanted to be um in women's media, hmm. which is not what I ended up doing. No, um, you've gone the other way for middle-aged white men who are... Yes, <laughs> exactly. Gosh, the mum and me would probably frown on me for what I, <laughs> <laughs> what I did now. Where you ended up. I know. Succumb to the patriarchy. Yeah, for sure, for sure kind of. Um, no, advertising isn't that bad anymore. But, um, yeah, I, I, I did some internships at Mamma Mia, which I did not like, uh, and at Prevention Magazine, and I remember writing an article yeah. called foods to eat to have an orgasm and I thought this could not be my life. <laughs> but that was very Carrie Bradshaw. Yeah. It was, it was, but it was, you know, that type of journalism was pulling stuff from the web and yeah. you didn't get to write your own content. It was very much like, oh, here's a scientific article, write it in 300 words for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't fulfilling enough for me and that doesn't mean it's not for, for other people, but for me I, I wanted something meatier and I just – didn't feel like I had that in those internships. And had you always been interested in writing or? 
Yes. So I wrote books when I was younger. I always knew just I wrote whole books. Just, yeah. yeah. Well, no, I'd say like sh- what is it? Short fiction or uh, what? What would you short call it? Stories, short so. stories. Yeah. Um, <laughs> with animations. Yeah. No, really? I was always into writing. I I was very into when I was a bit younger, like writers like Jodie Picoult um, and that those amazing fiction writers. And I thought. I'll just write books. That's what I'll do. I'll just, I'll just write books. And yeah. then I quickly realised that you can't really do that for a full-time career unless you're absolutely amazing. You need to have a nine-to-five and that's how I went into the next. And fairly soon you were kind of thrust in front of, you know, CEOs and CMOs because when you went over to Ad News you were interviewing a bunch of them? Yeah, for sure. And I think um, for me I had no idea what Ad News was. It was very much an opportunity and you're told uh, and it'd be interesting if you're told you were told this in your journalism degree but I was told uh, a teacher stood up and said you will most of you in this room won't get a job in journalism there's no (laughs) jobs in journalism and I was like holy yeah they told me that 10 years ago (laughs) well there you go (laughs) there are jobs and we're both non-journalism so what does that say (laughs) yeah well there you go I mean I had to create my own job I I came out of my degree and couldn't get a job as a journo Really? Um, yeah, there was just it was so hard to get um, jobs that were, and also about f- sort of five years after my degree, print started to decline, and mm. uh, it was just a, cha- a changing landscape. So I ended up starting my own publication, and I love that idea that you could just pre-publish, and uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. Particularly when you start getting a bit of a following, or you know, you were saying before you write your articles on LinkedIn mm. for that that idea that you could have a voice and people could read it and see it straight away without it being edited prior to going out. I loved that idea. For sure. It is a bit scary sometimes not having a sub-editor with the typos, <laughs> but it is good. Um, but, yeah, back to back to your question, I guess I started Ad News and had no idea. So then to walk into a room and, be, and them saying, oh, you're going to interview the chief salesperson for News Corp, mm-hmm. um, I started writing about, kind of that area first, News Corp mm-hmm. and Fairfax and Channel 9, it was so daunting. You, you can imagine these are people, I don't know, twice my age with so much experience. Um, so, yeah, that was that was kind of an amazing time but also a really difficult time for me personally. And Yeah, and that's what I wanted to talk about. And I know probably, Alex, you've got some thoughts on this too, but when you are given thrust and kind of responsibility – you know, what, what does that feel like? Because a lot of the people that I'm speaking to at the moment, you know, we spoke to Shu and to Ruby who mm. seem to do it so, so effortlessly. And then I meet a lot of people who are really concerned that, you know, about going and taking that step either into a new job or into a new field and kind of feeling terrified about it. Yeah, and on the flip side it could be how much responsibility are we putting on people with such little experience, yeah. you know, that kind of leads sure. to like what's the no, – no, this isn't directed at you, but like what's the quality of the news and the articles that we are going to be getting out? And is that just because it is such a declining industry that, you know, you do have 21-year-olds who are interviewing people who at that level? Um, so you are thrust into that. So you're probably nervous. Someone else is probably nervous because they're thinking, are we going to get that quality article out of it? Like the whole space just oh. seems – Sure. Yeah. And look, I have always been confident and being told I'm tenacious and ambitious. So I feel like I actually didn't realize the whole scope of them putting their trust in me until recently a 21 year old journalist interviewed one of our CEOs Uh because I'm now at DDB doing their marketing and press. And I was terrified that they were going to 
Mm. Stuff it up. up. (laughs) So I can so see from the other side now, but I think you raised a really good point, which I agree with, and and it's especially in the trade press. People aren't investing much in journalism. There's cost cuts. Mm. So young people are thrown into positions that maybe they shouldn't have been in. And luckily I had an amazing boss, which I attribute most of my success in that role to, Rosie Baker, who was very um, supportive of me and gave me the frameworks Mm. to Mm. go out. But I know that there's some people that are thrown forward and they're not really prepared. um, Did you trust the person interviewing uh, your... um was it your CEO at DDB? Um, yes, but, you know, it It was – she looked probably younger than she actually is as well. So I was thinking, how old are you? So, I, I mean, I trust her because I trust the publication, which I will not say which it was, but I, I knew that she had good editors there. But, yeah, I was, I was nervous. I was more nervous than, you know, when I've had other senior journalists interview our team. I felt quite confident that they will know what they're talking about. Did that make you think that more people doubt you than you realise? hundred percent. And I actually said that to a few people. It definitely made me think someone did say to me, um, once, Oh, it's really hard to put my, my brand in your hands knowing you're so young. And I was so offended, mm. but I, I, I really do see that point now. Um, and I, you know, I'm still the youngest person in our leadership meetings now. Um, I'm young for my role. I think I'm probably the youngest corporate communications manager DDB has had, of course, I think even in my current role, people doubt me, but mm. I guess you have to prove them wrong, prove them mm-hmm. wrong. And I guess I've always thought the reason that I've been given a promotion or given a job is because I deserve it. Mm. Um, and you just have to remind yourself of that really, because otherwise you get in that whole imposter syndrome spiral, which I definitely have been in before. And how, how did you deal with it? Like, and probably a question for you too, Alex, you know, like were you ever put in a similar position or? You know, did you ever feel this, you know, what Lindsay's talking about or? Um, yeah, certainly when I first started writing about food, um, being a massive foodie and, yes, obviously having a journalism degree and, you know, speaking to other food editors and how they first got their break, they, you know, they weren't necessarily, no one studied food writing, you know, <laughs> you just figure it out. As you just you eat go. and you write about yeah, it. Yeah, you figure out how you how you get there. But, you know, I think for me when I first started Eat, Drink, Play and I was going to media events and I'd be sitting there next to stuffy old print journos and they would almost sort of turn down their nose at me. Oh, you write online, you write digital. (laughs) Are you you a blogger? Like what's Instagram, you know? And it was very much like um, they were superior because they were print. And I think I've said this before, but, you know, those same people a couple of years later were going, so how do you write clickable articles? What is SEO? Because their boss has said you need to, you know, get your, your views up. And then in the next five years, those print journals didn't have a job. And, in fact, some had even said, hey, you're looking for any freelancers. And you know, I'm really? 10 years in my business now, so, you know, suck it. Um, <laughs> they just want the brewery tours. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, but I think there is a little bit of that fake it till you make it. And if you've got the confidence and you also prepare and do your work and um, don't take situations for granted as well, I think that was another thing was realising that, you know, you are in a privileged privilege position where you have the opportunity to be able to share stories with a readership. Um, you know, you want to be able to get as much information as you can 
that that's going to benefit them. So I'm not taking that that position of trust for granted, I guess. Yeah, hundred mm, percent. What about you, like Lindsay? Like, how did how did you start to deal with that imposter syndrome? Was it Alex's kind of head down, ass up kind of approach, where that you know you just need to prove them wrong, or? Yeah, I think it was a lot of fake it till you make it. Just mm-hmm. act like you're 100% confident. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I guess a, a, a more of a holistic kind of view is practicing self-love, yeah. um, which is something I think you uh, learn as you get older but, and something you get bad, better at. Um, but it's like dealing with that self-doubt in in whatever way with that like be meditation or for me I saw an energy healer so mm-hmm. and that was something I would have never said that I would do yeah. um but I guess that's you know part of growing up and and growing up when you have that pressure that I had to do certain things to deal with not only imposter syndrome but journalism is fucking hard mm. and it's it's really easy to burn out and and I did and that's why I left really that's the main reason apart from the fact that I had a great opportunity um so yeah I guess I guess that the the probably the best thing I did was ask for quarterly reviews because you could manage so it's imposter syndrome is feeling like you're not doing a great job right so if I had a review and Rosie, who's my boss at the time, said, you're doing a great job every three months, but you can work on these. That really helped, mm. that encouragement. Um, so I guess that would be something I've always tried to get as much feedback as I can because I don't want to wait to a yearly review and then, then be like, oh, you know what? It's not really working out. I want to know as much as possible. What, what's been kind of your biggest failure? Or what's been the, the hardest thing to overcome? You must have oh, my biggest story. failure. Um, <laughs> okay, my biggest failure. No, there's been a few. Gosh. <laughs> okay, my one, the one, two come to mind. So there was one where simple mistake. I'm not good with numbers, and it was News Corp's financials. And in the headline, I said they'd lost 400 million, and it was 40 million. Oh my no. god! No. And, it was, and it was up for hours and no one said anything and then finally someone was like is the math right on this um but that kind of, <gasps> i know share prices have dropped yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Bennett has single-handedly <laughs> taken down i know and that i mean it was fully my mistake but i guess it goes to the fact that sub-editors get cut in newsrooms and no one gave that a good enough I was pretty junior, but it was definitely my fault. Um, <laughs> wow. I know. It was a doozy. And then, and that came quite closely after we'd had this thing in our news called Creative Rankings. So we ranked all the, the agencies, like, I don't know, 1 to 50 or something like yeah. that. And it's very we, – we used to get someone to do it externally and they bought it in-house to save money. Mm. And they – we had to do it via a spreadsheet and – Basically, every award show of the year, calculate what the agency had won and then put it into a spreadsheet which had formulas to create their score. This is so boring. I'm bored. But um, (laughs) uh, anyway, my editor and I did it as a collaborative effort and it was completely wrong. Some what For whatever reason, we calculated it wrong, the formulas fucked up and... And the it, agencies love this shit. And, we, and, yeah. they, and they know what they've won. Yeah. So it got published and like so funny because DDB was one of the ones that got the most fucked over by my and my team's mistake. And I remember people there calling and being like, we're 20th and but by our math we should be fifth. And 
oh, it, some had swapped and all these random agencies no one had heard of had got the rankings of bigger agencies. Anyway, that was probably the biggest fuck up because it lasted two weeks of oh. trying to figure it out. Oh. And we recalculated it and it was still wrong. And it was just, it was horrible. And that, I, yeah, I can't even tell you the stress of that situation. <laughs> Do you think that was a start of the end for wanting to leave journalism? I think I was still there for another 18 months, to be honest. But at the time I was like, I'm getting fired. I want to quit. This is horrible. You know, those really dark moments where you've, you have made a mistake um, and it's your fault and you have to deal with like, you know, you can't blame anyone else or it, it was really dark. But no, that, that wasn't really it. Um, there wasn't a particular moment where I was like, I'm leaving. It was more, it was kind of time um, because I'd been there for just over three years and I had started to get some opportunities past my way, which I was taking more seriously. Mm. Um, a few agencies had approached me for a comms type of role. So it was more them coming to me because I didn't really think that that was a job I would ever do, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. So how do people like... Um, Ad News, retain young talent like yourself because it sounds like you were, despite two major fuck-ups, you were a really good <laughs> asset for them and they spent time grooming and nurturing and giving you that shot. You left I'm sure that they were I'm sure they were super disappointed to lose you but they yeah. probably couldn't pay as much as where you are now. So is there any, I mean, how do you think that? Mm, it's a really hard question because I, I don't know the answer. Mm. Um, also another reason that I left was because other people had left and I think that's a big that that you know when that we were a team of like five Mm -hmm. so once people other people that you've spent your last three years with leaving I think that makes a difference so I don't want to blame it all on them at all it was just kind of a timing thing um and Rosie who was my editor I feel like she was such an amazing boss that once she left I didn't really know what was next for me Mm um so I guess having amazing people is one because Rosie hired me and she kept me there and she was just amazing. Mm. Um, so so that's like the culture and, and potentially yeah. progression as she well. Said, yeah, so she was great at culture and progression and she put me up for the digital editor role even though I was probably, I don't know, I say too young, but can you say that? I don't know. I, I was I was younger than the usual person in that role. So she was really great at that. Um, I think culture, while everyone bangs on about it, is really important. It's really hard in newsrooms because mm. of the the type of work you're doing and the constant deadlines and um, you don't have time to go to lunch or you don't have time to, you know, we spoke about doing away days for years. They never happened and... Mm. Um, yeah, that is a big one. And then, of course, there's remuneration and things like that, which any journalist would be honest in saying it doesn't pay the best. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it is, it's, it's hard. I would really like to see more investment into newsrooms, but we know that it's not going that way. So, Would you recommend anyone get into journalism anymore? Yes, and I feel like I want to, you know, when you, we kind of discuss the topic, I feel like I don't, I would go back to journalism. That's the thing. So the time is not right now and I love what I do now, but who knows in five years, unless they listen to this interview and say, never hire that girl, she hates journalists. <laughs> no, not at all. And I, I feel like I did want to make that clear. Like I would go back. I, I did love it. It just was the the right time for me mm. um, to try something else. Uh, but I think it is a great career. I think I 
my path is different because I fell in love with the advertising industry. So I wanted to be in the advertising industry. But if I'd been writing about something else, I, I, I yeah. still loved being a writer. I just loved agencies more and what they were doing and the people. And I wanted a chance to be part of a big business, whereas I feel journal- newsrooms are, are small unless you're going to work for a news.com or SMH. And I didn't want to do mainstream news. So I definitely would. Definitely. I think I had an amazing time. If you like writing, why not follow what you love doing? But I just ended up loving advertising maybe more than writing right now. What What's your creative process around writing? Because I think what drew me to you was that you were talking about arguments that I knew intimately, which were the consultancy versus agency kind of discussion. But what, you, you know, for you, you know, you've always kind of been a writer. You've always enjoyed that kind of creative output. So talk us through kind of what your process is, what inspires you to, to write. Yeah, so I guess um, you when you are a writer, you become an expert in a topic. So I'm, I would say, sounds bad, I'm, a, I'm an expert in advertising. Like I'm not, but I know about the trends and things like that. So my creativity comes from seeing those trends, having the knowledge of what I know in the industry, um, in the Australian market and kind of smashing them together like trends overseas seeing what's happening here um and I guess that's what inspires me having a different take on it um it's kind of a hard one because you don't I never thought of writing as creative until the last few years really yeah you don't because you think I think my um definition of creativity has expanded but you think of being creative as being a drawer or a an artist, you know, you don't really think about it linked to writing. That's interesting. Yeah, that's I, I, I always have, I guess, thought of really? it as creativity in a way because uh, it is something. Well, different types of writing, but it is quite subjective as well. And you can pull the fact unless you're doing straight news. Yeah, and you're presenting the facts. But um, did you get? Was it much opinion pieces that you did, or was it um, more? It, straight news it was and it was features so that yeah. was what I loved doing and that's what I actually have more ability to do now that I'm out of that framework which is interesting mm. because I don't have to write six news stories which is facts and a press release yeah I get to do the stuff that you saw on my LinkedIn which is that piece was about um you know the five the talent war between agencies and consultancies so because it's a business topic I feel like it doesn't deserve the word creativity but I that's a thing for me I need to broaden my definition of creativity yeah because you know I sat down there's, a, there's another podcast I've just got involved with who and it won't be up in months but they were talking about the idea that synthesizing an insight was one of the most creative things you can Mm-hmm. And being able to develop an insight around and being able to talk about it, whether it was writing or verbal, was in essence creativity because you were you were synthesizing something new out of things that existed. That's really yeah, that's really interesting, and that is what journalism is. It's what good journalism is, especially because I think you should be able to do opinion pieces and features. I think that is what adds value, especially um, in the trade press. I think there's not enough of that anymore. Um, that is adds way more value than a press release about you know some GM being hired. <laughs> well, it kind yeah, of great press release. <laughs> it sets yourself apart, really. I mean, I don't think that's just in the ad industry. That's everything. For sure. So that's every industry. That's anyone can write a press release. But that kind of brings me to something I thought I could bounce around and we could chat about is 
You know, this morning when I logged onto my Facebook, there was a notification and it said Facebook is um, against fake news and we are bringing new processes in place to ensure that we're not spreading fake news and we have got people who are working for us now who are fact-checking things to ensure this doesn't get spread. And I was like, that's super interesting um, because that is that's such a, a, you know, they've come under fire for like being one of the major spreaders of fake news. Um, as we, as journalists, uh, are sort of decline, it's a declining maybe industry, I says, maybe, maybe it is, um, is, are we at risk of, yeah, more fake news spreading, I guess, like we, I know you mentioned news of press releases, like we do it as well. We're under so much pressure to get out the latest, you know, bars, restaurants, things that are happening. And so we will um, often write from press release before we get a chance to go in there and later do a review or do a feature write up on it. We're relying on the press release and the PRs to give us that factual information. And often we'll put a call in and we'll try and do our own research. But sometimes like we just need to rely that they're giving us the correct information. Um, and surely you would have had to do that as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, yes, and this it was a few years ago, but a funny or less funny for them. But an example of that is a press, a fake press release got leaked to one of the trade press on purpose by another one of the trade press, and oh, they wow. ran it, and it and it was fake. Uh, so yeah, I think I, I mean, I think the mainstream news is a little bit. They don't rely on press releases as much, yeah. but definitely um, your industry mm. and the trade definitely rely on press releases. And I think in recent years, there's been other kind of instances of people lying um, about numbers and lying about, you know, I, I was lied to so many times. Oh, no, that really? person hasn't left. And two days later, you know, you they, they put out a press release about them leaving. And, and that shocked me to the core because <laughs> I just – to me, lying is the worst thing you can do. And I guess I had to move past that and realise sometimes you have to lie to protect your business and your people. But, um, yeah, I can definitely see there's there's no fact-checking mm. or there's little fact-checking. Um, there's less people. There's no – there's li- very few sub-editors um, in most newsrooms. So it is creating an environment where fake news can thrive – and I actually just remembered my real worst story, which is even <laughs> it gets <worse>. more embarrassing. <laughs> so well, I'll tell this because it goes into the fake news. Yeah. Um, so I believed a Batuta advocate um, <laughs> oh Instagram post. No, <laughs> so this is Before definitely the most embarrassing. <laughs> no, I knew about them, which is worse. So it was like on their Instagram, they'd posted um, – uh, thing about cricket. It was the Cricket Australia ball tampering yeah. situation and they'd posted a, a screenshot of a letter they'd got from Cricket Australia saying, can you please take down your most recent podcast? Um, it's defamatory and blah, blah, blah. And I listened to the podcast and it was defamatory. They were calling them the... See, I thought that letter was... I thought that letter was real as well. No. Fake. Really? So fake. I, I, make you first and make you creative. I read, like, I wrote a story like Batuta Advocate Threatened with Legal Action. Oh, Do you remember this? Out now. Oh, yes. my. Anyway, it was up for like 10 minutes, and then someone tweeted me being like, Are you serious? And I was like, hmm, Maybe this isn't real. Then I 
freaked out and took it down and then it got picked up by Crikey, got picked up by Nine. Like, mm, yeah. So Did that, they run it as well? They, no, they, no, they ran up the like, they ran, they ran like oh. Ad News Fooled by. Oh, so no. that was definitely my worst career moment. Oh. Um, wish I didn't have to hold the other two now. But uh, just <laughs> making myself look like a great journalist. But I, I use that example because that went through two, one editor um, who quickly read it we both should have known better. There's a f- perfect example of fake news thriving. Yeah. Um, in that, because we were both, we the newsletter that Ad News sends out, it's like 11 a.m. and you have these crazy deadlines. So you're rushing, you're rushing, you're like pulling things, you know, it, mistakes are made, um, which is, you know, really unfortunate and it's getting worse. <laughs> what may, this is a question for you, Alex. Mm. So how do you, and I've never asked you this before, there are a lot of food publications out there mm. and you talked before about the news cycle versus the review mm-hmm. what do you think goes into good food journalism versus just some hungry person well there's this um tell oh, us your secret no well i just think it's well, there is anyone who um follows john lethlane from the australian on instagram he's got this hashtag couscous for comment and like all the it's just it's kind of like getting popcorn and watching stuff it's quite fascinating so he calls out like the in in my industry there's the rise of the influencer so there's a lot of like and just probably beauty as well but the fashion like food influencers who will um dm restaurants and say hey can i come to your restaurant for a free feed in exchange for um, posting on my oh, Instagram. Because for, for comment, right? <laughs> so he, like, I think it's quite harsh and not great for, you know, mental health, naming and shaming these people. But he puts them on Instagram and then he says, we see you, you know, Sally Eats or whatever. Sorry <laughs> if there is an, in- I don't know, whatever. <laughs> like, sorry. I don't know if there's an Instagram called Sally Eats, whatever. And then they will like, and then all these chefs will attack him and be like, pay for your meal, scum, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Oh like, gosh! Yeah, it's so it's so brutal. And then this influencer who's got you know um, twenty thousand followers, whether they're bought or real, who knows? And then all of a sudden they'll shut down their account or they will change the name and they've been bullied. Or Sally. Yeah, oh, I don't even know if there was a Sally. <laughs> so I think like yes, that that just like there are good journalists and bad journalists, there are good influencers and bad influencers, and there's you know all sorts of. Um, levels of any occupation out there uh, but on the flip side like we on our instagram we get things like hey come to my chi- hey um adrian player we love your instagram page will you come to my chicken shop in rockdale and we'll you and five friends will give There's you as much chi- <laughs> as much chicken as you like to eat for free if you post on our instagram <laughs> look at you like i'll come down <laughs> <laughs> the leader of your chicken huh? now look i think there's nothing as long as you're disclosing it and it's not like shaping your opinion, but then it's like, how does it not? But people who are promising, I'll give you a good review if you let me come and eat your food. It's like, well, do you even know? How, what if the food's crap? Are you still going to say it's really good even if it was? So there's like a, a little bit of a. But I mean, like, so I, I'm obviously a big fan of your publication. <laughs> <laughs> the only other publication I read at the moment is Broadsheet. Yeah. Broadsheet. Yeah. And they just. I don't know what it is about them. I'm like, I like their email and like yours, I know it's coming. And I'm like, yes, I've got my two feed emails. But what? Yeah. what is the difference between, you know, obviously I know the difference between your publications, but what, what makes a good food, food journalist versus 
bad. Not maybe not even journalists. Maybe let's talk about journalism. I think just an opinion. Yeah. Um, Rather than saying everything's fucking great. Yeah, exactly. Having an opinion, and you'll you'll notice like on ours if you know. If it's really, really crap, we just don't even bother writing about it. That right. tends to be our policy. Um, we're also not in the business of completely ruining other people's businesses. Like, so, you know, you'll never find us totally slamming someone. Um, but then, you know, we're a bit of a fan of the shit sandwich or the shit toast. Where, I can yeah. shit, shit sandwiches a mile away now. Like, yes, yeah. so this is great. But, but you know, it's yeah. like, oh, the, you know, the fit out was amazing. Um, the, yeah, the, the food was burnt. But the cocktails are great. Cocktails yeah. are great. <laughs> I'm so drunk by the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, our, our publication is quite positive. Um, but then also... Um, you know, you've got to remember that your readers are going out there and spending their hard-earned money on going out for a meal or going to a bar. And so, you know, you really need to... Yeah, so I feel like you have, we all, like, first and foremost, it's our readers, you know, before our advertisers, before any of the people that we work with, venues or anything like that, our readers are first because if we're recommending they go somewhere and they part with their hard-earned cash and actually it's really crap, then... You know that's that's disappointing. So I guess you've got to build up an authority um, on on this as well, and, yeah. and what you think is good. But at the end of the day, it is opinion, and we're not you know we're not doing news. We're doing food and lifestyle, and that is very opinion based. So your readers need to come to trust what you what you've got to say in your opinion. Yeah, I think I, I think that, that makes, makes sense. Lot, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think yeah. again, I think for me, I think journalism one of those things I've taken for granted the sense of. I know enough about it to appreciate it, but I think it does kind of get a bad rap sometimes. And sometimes it's just about, you know, delivering the facts and being able to say that, hey, look, there is this new venue opening and, you know, we've spoken to them and here's the inside scoop on what they're planning on doing. Like people also love that, you know, they want to be in the know. Yeah. Oh, I I have a whole story to tell you about the Mirrors Underground, but I'll tell you about that later. Oh, okay. Uh, So also what I would actually love to tell our readers you interviewed a bunch of really impressive people because I flicked through at news, had a big stalk <laughs> this afternoon. What what is the art of the interview? Because I think um, I think it's something that you know, certainly I've spent a lot of time watching other interviewers do now, but I'm always kind of looking for those those frameworks that you're talking about. What do you think makes a good interview? For, it doesn't matter if you're eight or eighteen or eighty. That really will kind of get the best out of. Yeah, so I think number one for me is prep, and I have three pages of notes in front yeah, of me. I, I haven't even prepped them. Um, so I think knowing who you're interviewing, knowing their background, seeing like what else they've done in market, um, super important. I feel like the worst interviews that I did were ones that I didn't prepare for, and I they would say a really good response back, and I didn't know enough to ask a follow up question. Um, and that, it kind of depends what vertical you're writing about because sometimes I was writing about ad tech and I had no idea about um, DSPs and things like that. So they were really hard for me so that I needed to prep a lot. Whereas if I was doing an interview on a campaign about shoes, I know a lot about shoes, you know, so that, yeah. So sometimes, you know, you should, you don't need to do much. Um, but other times, especially when you're out of depth, I would just really, there's nothing will be better than prep. Um, what about in the room? Yeah, in the room. So my my other big thing which Rosie would shoot me for and everyone that's kind of taught me would be 
you know, not happy and it was kind of goes in your question about shorthand. Um, don't take notes. <laughs> so record. Where, if you can't record, of course take notes. But I found taking notes really made people get their back against the wall um, and because it felt very – and they're kind of trying to look what you're writing and they, they're not really feeling like they trust you. So where I could, I, I didn't take notes. Um, and of course, sometimes I had to, or sometimes I would make a quick little time mark. If it was, um, I had to, it was a quick turnaround. I'd make like a, okay, 15 minutes and circle it and come back to just that point. That was like my whole story. But yeah, that, that worked for me. Might not work for everyone, but that would be, my other one. Were you ever nervous about the recording not working? Yes, so I'm much. It only, every week, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> <It> only, <laughs> that only happened to me once or twice. And it was mainly phone interviews where you plug it in and it yeah. didn't work. Like in person, it was. I don't really remember ever getting caught out on phone, yeah. definitely. Um, but that just, I just feel like if you're talking to me and I break eye contact to write stuff, it just didn't create a natural flow. Because I think really the, the, tip to interviewing um is to be human and have a connection um and try and be personable and try and create a relationship which is really hard sometimes when you're going in blind and um but that that was always what worked for me trying to speak about their day first and then trying to subtly be like anyway let's start the interview but you know well, what do you have planned for later and and turn the the recorder on and just try and keep it as casual as you can because I think I always thought, oh, I'm so nervous to do this. And I didn't actually ever think that the other person's probably way more nervous. Um, so, yeah, just be human. Don't record. Be prepared. It's my advice. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for um, having a chat with us. Um, if people want to stay in contact, you, would you be happy for them to stay in contact with you on Instagram? Yes, or, of yeah? course. Yes. What's your Instagram handle? Uh, Lynn's Bennett, double S, B double N, E double T, or LinkedIn is probably my most relevant platform these days. Mm-hmm. It's Lindsay Bennett. Awesome. So. You do a little bit of writing on there as well. Yeah. yeah. It's my platform of choice now that I have no platform. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> so, yeah, if you guys out there have any embarrassing stories, maybe you're a journalist and you've had a few balls up yeah. that you would love to share with us. Like, Make drop, you feel better. Yeah, let us know. That would be that would be great to hear from you. Um, thank you for listening to us. Uh, if you want to hit me up, I'm at Ms. Darlinghurst, MS Darlinghurst, and Jai is double star. Uh, co if you've liked this episode share it with someone um this is season two so we've got a whole season one and uh quite a few episodes in this season that you can go back and and listen to we'll be back next week thanks guys bye Bye.